0: so glad that you're here today and if this is your first time with us at new life welcome glad you are here uh that's what i tell everybody i hope your first time visit turns into a second your second turns into a third and by the time you're here a third time you just feel like your family and you're ready to jump in and get involved that's what i hope would be your trajectory there but we're so glad you're here as we get started today i want to tell you about my aunt emily she passed away Uh, back in December at the age of 93. She was a devoted follower of Jesus, and she is now in heaven um, with uh, her parents, my grandparents. You know, her three brothers are all in heaven, Um, my Uncle Charlie, my Uncle Bob, and my father. They're all together. And, And a few months after she died, my cousin Michael, who lives over in Oklahoma, called me up and said, hey, been trying to get all my aunt's things uh, and things together, and and I've got a box of stuff I want to drop off at your house. So I thought, okay, fine. He goes, I don't know what to do with all this stuff, but it just makes sense that it should go with you. So I said, all right, we'll bring it on over. So he ber- dropped off this big box of old pictures that he wanted me to have. These are pictures that my aunt had had for, for years and years, and they're basically a bunch of pictures that reflect our branch of the family tree. So it be my father, and and uh, be my, my aunts and uncles, it be my grandparents, and, and a bunch of old pictures. And, and um, it was a real trip going through this box, you know? And I, I remember taking out a picture of my grandfather, my son Neil's great-grandfather. His name was Neil, who we named our son after. <clears throat> and so I'm like, hey, Neil, this is what Neil looked like years ago. And, and it was just a real trip going through, through that box. And there were plenty of pictures in there that had somebody years ago not taken the time to write names and uh, dates on the back of those pictures, I probably would have never pieced it all together. So I'm really thankful that they, they did that. Um, I had several epiphanies going through that box of old photographs of who was married to who and what children came from those marriages and how our family tree developed. And, and slowly, piece by piece, the pictures in that box told a story of those who had gone before me, and it filled in some of the gaps and circumstances that led to yours truly being born and being here today. After a while, though, I came to appreciate that box of old pictures as actually containing something very, very precious. It contains a heritage in that box, Uh, an ancestry, a beginning, an origin. I've always enjoyed history. I I love learning how things came to be. Um, As it relates to my family, I really like knowing that there were plenty of branches on this tree that were there long before me, and Lord willing, there'll be new branches sprout down the road, and, and that always, it makes me feel good. I relate well to how pastor and author Max Lucado writes about his own family heritage. He says this, I like knowing that I'm not an isolated pond, but rather a part of a river winding through a great canyon. I guess for me the bottom line is the pictures in that box enrich my life. And I've heard it said like this before, that knowing where you came from says much about where you are going. And as a Christian, nothing could be truer. God wants us to know where we came from. And learning that will teach us so much about where we are going, and that is one of the many reasons for why I'm just very excited about starting this new series with you today. This series I'm just calling Origins, and it's all about our beginnings. It's all about our heritage, how all of this life that we're living right now, how it got started, and why things were set in motion, and the why they continue to be in that motion to this day. I can tell you that we're not just going back to the first book of the Bible. We are going back to the beginning of all things. Literally, we are going to go back together as a church to the moments before creation. Before there was land and before there was sea, before there was the creation of the sun, moon and stars, before the seas were filled with fish and before the land was filled with all kinds of vegetation and creatures, before the very breath of life was blown into the nostrils of Adam. We are going back to the in the beginning. And if you haven't done so yet, would you open your Bibles to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And if you're not all that familiar with how the Bible is put together, no worries at all because the book of Genesis is the very first book of the Bible that you get to. It's going to be a couple pages past the front cover. In fact, the study Bible that I use the majority of the time, Genesis chapter 1 begins on page 4. So you should be able to find it, all right? It's the very beginning. And while you're finding that, let me just tell you that the the name Genesis means origins. Genesis means origins. And the book of Genesis is this detailed account of the origins of the human race. But not only that, but the book of Genesis explains so much about the world that we live in today. In Genesis, we learn where suffering and death come from. We learn about how people became divided into different races and different people groups. We learn about the diversity of cultures and languages. We also learn things like who committed the very first murder and why did they do that and many of the other events that drastically impact our lives today and explain why things are the way that they are today. And through all of that, we're going to learn some amazing truths about God the God who created all things. We're going to learn how creation unfolded and how, the, how creation actually set the stage for everything today. Even how we count days and months and years was all started right here from the book of Genesis. There's a clear picture of God's love and His redemptive message that emerges from the book of Genesis. It's a plan that has us in mind. It's a plan that God is still intricately involved with to this very day. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is you need to buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, because we're gonna be spending a lot of time in the book of Genesis, and we are going on this journey together that I certainly believe will be super impactful in our church family, because knowing where you came from says so much about where you are going. Now, as we get started in this, I want to challenge you in two ways this week. And I wouldn't challenge you this way if I didn't think you could do it, but I want to lay two challenges at your feet and encourage you to follow through and do this. And the very first one is this. This week, I'm challenging all of you to read the book of Genesis in its entirety. You don't have to read it all in one setting, but throughout the course of this week, we read the entire book of Genesis. And I know it's a pretty good sized book. There's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. But I will tell you this, that Genesis was written primarily as a narrative. So in other words, it reads like a story. Do you enjoy reading novels and stories? It very much reads just like that. I certainly have no problem. I, I love reading through Genesis. It just unfolds like a story. Um, I would imagine that for those of you that have never read it before, or have, or have not read it in a very long time, the book of Genesis will be a page-turner for you. You will not be put to sleep when you read it. And I would imagine, too, that a number of you are going to have what I call these aha moments as you read through the book of Genesis, because things are going to start making sense as you engage the book of Genesis in this way. So let me encourage you to do that, and here's what I think is going to happen, too. For many of you, you're going to get to the end of the book of Genesis, and you're going to instinctively want to move right in into the book of Exodus, because you're going to want to figure out, well, what happens next? What is, well, what happened after this? And, Je- and Exodus picks up right where Genesis leaves off. I-, I will tell you this, that, but really, the first five books of the Bible are meant to go together, okay? They, they go together. Um, They're grouped together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're often referred to as the Torah in Hebrew, which just means the law, the books of law. Sometimes I'll refer to those first five books of the Bible as the books of law. In the Greek, they're known as the Pentateuch. Okay, so all these words refer to the same thing, the first five books of the Bible. Now, I want you to also know that they're written by Moses And he wrote them sometime prior to the Israelites crossing the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land. You're going to love reading the book of Genesis this week. I promise you that. And if you don't have a Bible, let me know because I can help you get one. I also want to let you know that in your app, your church app, there is a Bible there that's a very user-friendly Bible on your app. And not only that, but this Bible, if you're not you know, much of a reader and you're more of an auditory learner, this app will actually read the Bible to you if you would prefer to do it that way. So there's a resource right there in the palm of your hands or on your electronic device, whatever is, works best for you. But please, please, please read the book of Genesis. The second thing I wanna challenge you to do is this. I want you to attend your life group this week excited to grow and engage the book of Genesis. Life groups kick off this week. The last few weeks we've had a lot of you signed up and got plugged into life groups, which is awesome. But I want you to, to join your life group this week, excited to get going. I want you to take home with you today the life group study guide. There, it looks like this. It's a front and back. And they're located out on the life, the life group's uh, display out there. And new study guides will be available every week. They are also available on your app. You can have access to it through your app the exact same way. But I want you to, the whole idea here really is is to, to spend some time with your life group study guide. And we want you to answer some of the questions and just kind of prepare before you go to life group. So when you go to your life group this week, you're kind of ready to engage and have a great discussion and study God's word, and together, this is how we stay aligned as a church. We, we're preaching through Genesis, our life groups are studying through Genesis, we're gonna pray together about the same things, we're gonna stay aligned as a church family through this. Now, if you're not in a life group yet, I still want you to do this, okay? I still want you to take a study guide. They are for everybody and you can work on it on your own or if you, know, if you have a friend or something like that, say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee together and visit and then we'll do our life group study questions together or do whatever you do. Go on a hike with somebody else, go kayaking. You know, um, you know my favorite way to study the Bible is surrounding food. So go out for lunch and eat and, and then do your study. Whatever works for you, okay? Whatever works for you. But uh, this is for everybody, whether you're in a life group or not, but let's engage the book of Genesis together, and, um, and, and I, I truly believe that it's going to be a, a, a great thing for our church family. Now, let me tell you this. This is all kind of introduction as we get into the book of Genesis, but it is a rather lengthy book of the Bible. There's 50 chapters. So it's going to take some time to preach through this book Um, I I want you to know up front that we're not going to be reading every verse of the book of Genesis together when we meet on Sunday mornings like we are now. That's why I'm I'm leaning on you to be familiar with the book of Genesis and and, and have some understanding of how it goes together. But we're going to be pacing ourselves through the book of Genesis um, at a pretty good pace um, together. We're going to work our way through it much like we did the book of Revelation. Do you remember when we went through that last, last summer? Uh, we, uh, we did more of a section-by-section section approach to it. We didn't do verse-by-verse, verse, but it's more section-by-section section approach. So we're gonna do the same thing with Genesis. So we're gonna be obviously talking about creation, the fall of man, you know, our enemy, the devil, we're going to talk about uh, the flood, Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel, um, uh, God's promise to Abraham, and so forth. As you work through the book of Genesis, we're going to be moving along at a pace like that. And my goal here is, is at the end of this, everybody in our church family who stays with us during this series is going to have a really good understanding of this foundational book of Genesis, Now, I also want to let you know that the book of Genesis is probably the most attacked book in the Bible. Did you know that? It's the most scrutinized, the most attacked book in the Bible, because let's face it, if you can undermine the fact that God created the world and undermine the origins of man, then you can pretty much have whatever philosophy you want. So the book of Genesis is, is, is attacked a lot, and I'm not going to spend all of our time together defending it or, or chasing every rabbit trail. Literally, if, if we did everything verse by verse and, and defended every argument, we would be here for years trying to go through the book of, of Genesis. If you're one of those people that like to take deeper dives and, and you wanna chase some of these, these different lines of thinking, you just let me know and I'll help you point, I'll help point you down that direction and set you off on a course so you can do some study on your own and I'd be happy to do that. But there's going to be parts of the book of Genesis that I'm not even going to address. There's going to be other parts that I'm going to summarize. It's going to sound like this. This is what happened next. These are some of the details, and now we're moving on to this. So there's going to be some summarization. And then there's going to be some parts that we are going to plow into and dive down deep and really unpack. I think you're going to really enjoy the way that we're going to go about our study of Genesis. Now, at the end of the day, there's some things that happen to us when we study and understand the book of Genesis. And I'm gonna share three of them with you this morning. Three things that I believe is gonna happen by studying the book of Genesis. Number one is this, studying and understanding the book of Genesis will absolutely change your life. And that's not me making some big vast overstatement and that's not me being dramatic for effect or anything like that. That's really the, the way that I believe, that studying and understanding the book of Genesis can change your life. See, I'm a firm believer that you can't really understand the New Testament until you have good understanding of the Old Testament. And I don't believe that you can really have a good understanding of the Old Testament if you don't have a good understanding of this foundational book called Genesis. Just how foundational is the book of Genesis? Well, I can tell you there's over 35 times in the New Testament that it quotes The book of Genesis. There are hundreds of allusions throughout the Old and New Testament that look back towards the book of Genesis as a reference. Even Jesus quoted the book of Genesis, and there were many times he alluded to things that happen in the book of Genesis. This is an extremely foundational book of the Bible. In fact, the entire Bible builds off of what happens in the book of Genesis. But what I like so much about Genesis and why it is so life-changing is because what Genesis will do is it will lay out for us the basic foundational truths about God and about the world that we live in, these foundational truths about people, you and me, and about the law and the order of things and sin and marriage and faith and spiritual fulfillment and many other things. This, this book of Genesis tells us where we came from, why we are here, and what God expects us to do. Genesis will also explain to us um, how the whole Jewish nation began. You know, the Bible calls them the Hebrews or the Israelites, and they're referred to as the Jews even to this day. These are the people whom whom God would reveal himself to the world through. These are the people who would write the Bible. These are the people through whom Jesus Christ, our Savior, would ultimately come So trust me, if you knew all of that and you believed all of that, you would never be the same. Your life would be changed. So studying and understanding the book of Genesis will change your life. Now some of you this week are gonna actually take me up on my challenge and you're gonna read the book of Genesis and it will be the very first time you've ever read a significant portion of the Bible. It will be the first time that you engage the Bible in this way. And I want you to know, you would engage in context, I want you to, I would love to hear about your first time experience with God's word this way. I would love for you to shoot me an email when you get done with Genesis. This is your first time to ever read it. And I'd love to hear your insight and your thoughts about what maybe God showed you or what dots got connected or things you learned for the first time. I would love to, to hear that from you. So how else does studying and understanding the book of Genesis impact our lives? Well, it will drastically shape your worldview. Absolutely, the book of Genesis will shape your worldview. You know, I think perhaps the most uh, popular teaching out there today when it comes to the origins of mankind is what? It's evolution, isn't it? In very simple terms, what is evolution? Evolution is this idea that mankind evolved from millions and billions of years of time and and things just evolved where we started in these single-celled organisms and we grew into over millions of years these complex, intelligent, diverse Homo sapiens that we are today, that it took millions of years and we evolved to it. And the primary objective that we have as humans today is to pass on our DNA, prolong the species, and then die. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound wonderful? That our purpose is to pass on our DNA, prolong the species, and die. Within evolution, there's this idea of survival of the fittest. So what we want in that kind of understanding What we want, what we desire becomes first and foremost because it's all about our survival. It's all about what will prosper us. Um, In that kind of thinking, we only have to answer to ourselves. There is no God. There is no higher power overseeing anything. There's no consequences to our sin. There's no afterlife. You just do what feels right because you are the most important species on the planet. Evolution drives that narrative, and if you believe that way, and I would argue that most Americans believe something along those lines, and if you believe that way, then, then how you see the world and, 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 and how you address particular issues is all shaped by a particular world view. So you think about the things that we're dealing with and the conversations we're having as a country right now. Things like COVID-19 and terrorism and war and taxes and gay marriage and abortion and gender, vaccinations, politics, immigration, mandates, freedoms, rights, and On and on and on and on. Something in this world is shaping how you think about those things. That there is a worldview. And this worldview impacts how you perceive and what you think and how you address these very significant issues um, that we're dealing with today. I believe that this belief in um, evolution and this removal of God from the conversation, where we've made truth relative to whatever we think it should be. I believe that that right there is the foundation that drives a worldview today which leads to many of the awful things that are happening in our world. But believing the book of Genesis, starting with the very first verse, will drastically shape your worldview. Do you have your Bibles open? What's the very first verse of the book of Genesis say? It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. You may have never thought about it like this before, but the very first verse of the Bible begins to shape your worldview. How you see and how you understand everything that that you're confronted with in life. So if you believe that there's a God, and you believe this God existed before the earth and before the understanding of time and space, and if you believe that this God created everything, then I guarantee you your worldview will be drastically different than an atheist your worldview will be drastically different than a Muslim or a Hindu. If you believe all that, your worldview will be drastically different than the guy you sit next to at the office who is just living for himself and, 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 and doing whatever he feels is right in his own eyes. It will be drastically different than your neighbor who's living for the weekend, who lives by the philosophy, life is short, play, hard. If you believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then your worldview is drastically going to be different. I've said this a number of times, and and I think this is a good, good time to say it again. But if you can believe the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created. If you believe the first five words of the Bible, then there is no reason why you should have any problem believing the rest of it. Now think about that. If you believe that in the beginning God created, then you should have no problem believing too that a man named Noah could build an ark that would save his family and two of every kind of animal from, the, from a worldwide flood. If you believe that in the beginning God created. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, then you can also believe that, that God could cause the Red Sea to split wide open and the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. If you can believe that in the beginning God created, then you can also believe that that God's people could march around a very powerful city with lots of walls and they would just fall down. If you believe that God, in the beginning God created, you can also believe there's a guy named Noah who got swallowed by a big fish, lived in his belly, then got barfed up on dry ground three days later. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God created. Then you can also believe that God would step out of heaven as Jesus, would walk among his creation, teaching about the kingdom of God and what it means to be saved, and that he would die on a cross, be placed in a tomb, three days later be raised to life, and today sits at the right hand of the Father who one day will return for his people. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible. So Genesis drastically impacts your worldview. The third thing that I believe studying and understanding the book of Genesis does is it grounds you to the core doctrines of the faith. Right here at the very beginning of the Bible, it grounds you. I've been very open with you, very honest with you about some of my frustration and concern with the direction the American church is, is going these days and how I see a number of Christians that are sacrificing Core biblical convictions for more of a secular, harmonized version of what they call Christianity. There's a name for that. It's called progressive Christianity. And it just tries to harmonize secularism and Christianity together, and it just doesn't work. And I've been very concerned. We, We see this in many of our mainline denominations. They try to wrestle through the important issues of sexuality and marriage and social justice and things like that. We see this harmonizing of secular thinking, and it's just wrong. Even many Christians are moving off their foundations when it comes to the book of Genesis. And there's some reimagination, there's reinterpretation going on about the origins of man and how we all came to be. Instead of taking the book of Genesis as the clearly taught way that it is, they try to make it harmonized with more of a secular thought. I'll give you an example. There's a growing acceptance among some Christians that try to blend evolution And God created together. It's called theistic evolution. It's a real thing. It basically says this. That God brought into existence mankind, but he did that not through a seven days of creation. He did that through an evolutionary process over millions and millions of years. And during that whole survival of the fittest process of evolution, we have evolved through, through millions of years of disease and death and suffering to all evolve to, boom, one day, Adam and Eve pop up on the scene. That's theistic evolution in a very simple way of describing it. Do you know the huge problem doctrinally, theologically, that gets created by thinking like that, when many Christians are trying to harmonize these two things together? Is that that line of thinking completely undermines Jesus' ministry, specifically his death and his resurrection. I'll tell you how. Because with theistic evolution, death... Death is actually something that happens prior to the fall of man. You know, all those millions and millions of years of survival of the fittest where disease and death and all that stuff takes place. What that means, if that were true, is that death would no longer be a punishment for the sins of man, but rather death would just become a normal experience that was set in motion by God to bring us to human civilization, to Adam and Eve. And it also means that death can no longer be the punishment of sins, which means that Jesus' death on the cross would not be for the substitute for anyone's sin penalty. Do you see the problem? That by changing the clear and simple teaching of the book of Genesis, it undermines the rest of the Bible. So in this theistic evolution concept that many Christians seem to be attaching themselves to, it sees death as a good thing that was created by God that improves over time to get us to where we need to go. I'm going to show you a little visual illustration that's put together by the Answers in Genesis ministry. Are you familiar with the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter? You need to become familiar with those guys. They put this illustration together. I think it clearly illustrates what I'm talking about. But this evolution idea is that over millions and millions of years of suffering and bloodshed and death, it brought into existence mankind. This is this top illustration here. So this is evolution. Death leads to man's existence. And nowhere in the Bible is this taught. You this part? Nowhere in the Bible is this supported. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that God created, this is his lower illustration, that God created, and then man's actions, his sin, is what created death. That's his actions, his sin led to sin's greatest consequence, which is which is death. So death is only introduced after death the fall of man which is why Jesus had to come and die on the cross for our in our place to handle the sin penalty that we deserved but Jesus took in our place. Romans 6:23 says it really well. For the wages of sin, okay, the wages, the consequences what we deserve is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is just one example. That if we get Genesis wrong, if we don't have a proper understanding of the book of Genesis, then we are gonna set in motion a long line of things of difficulties doctrinally throughout the Bible. And that's never supposed to be that way. So as we study the book of Genesis, I wanna tell you up front that we are going to study it and we're gonna let the book of Genesis speak for itself. We are gonna take the book of Genesis at face value. We are not going to try to put our spin on it, and we're certainly not going to try to make it harmonize with secular thinking today. We are going to take it exactly how it was written, the way God intended it, and let that drive the core doctrine of the rest of the Bible and we'll see it all fall in line. You know, I mentioned earlier, this, this is uh, the weekend where we are remembering the 20 years since 9 11, it's hard to believe that it's been 20 years. How many of you remember exactly where you were when that? Yeah, absolutely. So some of you might be old enough to remember Pearl Harbor. Others of you definitely remember when you heard about the JFK assassination. Um, for me, in my generation, 9 11 is that thing that we, were, that we will always know exactly where we were. I was 25 years old on 9 11. Um, I was living in Decatur, Illinois. I was the pastor at the South Shores Christian Church um, in Decatur, Illinois, and I was a grad student at Lincoln Christian Seminary. And that morning, I did something that I never do. I turned on the TV. I turned on the TV. And you know why I never did that back then? Because we didn't have cable. We got three channels. And, uh, and so for some reason, I don't know why, I turned on the TV. My wife had already gone to work that morning. She worked at the high school there in our town. And, and I turned on the TV and um, I saw what many of you saw. The first tower was on fire. And all three of my channels <laughs> were, were filming it. And I sat down on the floor of my basement against, we had an old blue rocker chair and I was eating my bowl of cereal going, what in the world's going on? Did some pilot have a heart attack? Did some pilot get off course? And Terrorism was not in my, my mind at that moment. And as I'm taking a bite of my cereal, I see, you know, the, the shot, the plane, the second plane, coming in, watch this live, hit the second tower and explode. And my mouth hit the ground, is what I've never seen anything like this before. And nothing has ever been the same since, has it? I sat there most of the day watching the TV. Um, I fielded many calls from people in our congregation. Some of them were in tears. What do we do? What does this mean? Is Jesus coming back? There was all these questions. I had one lady in our church call me. I said, I don't know what to do. Is the church open? Can I just go in there and pray? I'm like, yeah, the church is open. Go pray, absolutely. That evening, several pastors in our community organized a worship and prayer service at one of the parks, and hundreds and hundreds of people poured into that park And we sang hymns to God, and we prayed together that night. Maybe you did something very similar. What we saw on 9-11 was pure evil on display. Where does our understanding of good and evil come from? Where does our sense of what is right and what is wrong, where does that come from? When we say things like God is good, why and how are we even in a position to determine such things? Where does our moral compass come from? Good versus evil, rights versus wrongs, a good God who loves his creation, those things are all rooted in the book of Genesis. But not only that, But the very first seeds of salvation are planted in the book of Genesis. The very first promise that there is going to be a Savior who is given to the world, well, that begins to develop right in the opening pages of the book of Genesis. And without the book of Genesis, we would truly not be able to understand the nature of our enemy or the lostness of our sin— or our need for a savior. And I, I want to show you real quick what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we hear for the very first time the promise of this savior. It says this in Genesis 3:15. This is God speaking. He says, "And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel." This is the first time that we get any glimpse or understanding that something's going to change down the road. So this passage tells us that that the seed of the woman, which we know is Jesus, will bruise the head of the serpent, which we know is Satan, and this serpent would bruise the heel of this woman's offspring or her seed. This right here, what we're reading in the opening pages of Genesis, this is the promise of a Redeemer who would be born of a woman and defeat Satan and bring salvation to all mankind. Did you know that the book of Genesis is where we first learn of this? Not only there, but other places in Genesis speak of Jesus coming as well. Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22 also speak of something that's gonna change down the road. In Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 22, God promises to bless all peoples through Abraham's family and through Abraham's offspring, there would be a seed. That, that seed would be, be Christ. Let me show you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 just says this. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what God was saying to Abraham in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, it says, and through your offspring... All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is a promise from the earliest days, the origins of man, that that all people would be blessed by Jesus. And this would be repeated and affirmed many times over in the New Testament. I'll show you a couple places. In Acts chapter 3, this is after the church got started. It's in the New Testament, verse 25. It says, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenants God made with your fathers. What is being communicated to the church and people? He's going back to Genesis. That there's this promise. He's tapping into something that was promised in the origins of man that is now coming into fulfillment. He said to Abraham... Through your offspring, all peoples will be blessed. Will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Galatians chapter three, verse eight. This is Paul teaching the church. He says this, Scripture foresaw. What's he talking about? What's Scripture? He's talking about Genesis. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. A few verses later, verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So we first learn of our need for a Savior in the book of Genesis. We learn of this after man sins. And death is introduced as a consequence of that sin, and that we are lost people, and we have this need, and and God has created a solution. So by learning Genesis and understanding that, you get the first understanding and glimpse of our lostness and our need for a Savior. So I hope that today serves as, as some of a backdrop, an introduction to our study through the book of Genesis, this very foundational book of the Bible that we cannot get wrong. I believe that Genesis can change your life. I believe that it absolutely shapes your worldview. And I believe that it grounds each of us in the core doctrines of our faith. Everything builds off this book of origins. Knowing where you came from says much about where you are going. And I I guess my hope and prayer for us as a church, as we wrap this up today, is that we would, we would see God like King David saw God. And he wrote it down in Psalm chapter 90, verse two. He says this, before the mountains were born, or before, or before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Let me pray for you, dear Lord. That's our declaration today. Before the creation of the world, before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Lord, I just pray you help us as a church family take to heart the clear, undeniable teaching of this book of origins. Lord, I pray you help us as a church family connect well with our heritage, where we came from, but Lord, also, that you'll use our study through the book of Genesis to clearly point us in the direction we are to go. But Lord, as we get done here today, I thank you specifically. From the very beginning, you have set in motion our need for a savior. You created a plan, you created a solution for our greatest need, which was forgiveness of sins. Lord, not only that, you have created a final destination heaven, Lord, where we get to be with you for all eternity. Those who would come to you in faith, who would believe in the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, who would live for you, Lord, I I thank you that the final destination is not wrapped in lostness or sin. No, the final destination is surrounded by your glory for all eternity. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the seeds of that salvation were planted in the book of Genesis. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would take to heart and take hold of salvation's promises and that we would live for you, Lord. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.